Women make up over 50% of the global population, but barely get a teaspoon of credit for their involvement. Sure, you might think that most women's issues have been dealt with, but how much more are we still willing to lie to each other and to ourselves? Feminism isn't an old and tired movement. Women's issues are still rampant. Based on the current system of society, most, if not all men, and even some women are sexist and or misogynistic. When it comes to men, if they show a smidgen of emotion or femininity or too much support for women, other men might call them cucks. Women all around the world, on the other hand, have patriarchy ingrained within their heads and they fully internalize it, believing that they are the lesser kind. Like, what the flipping fuck? Instead of a story opening, how about five shitty things that women still have to put up with constantly? Number one, menstrual hygiene products like tampons and pads are not free despite them being necessities rather than luxuries. Number two, some women still feel bad for taking sick leave for their period cramps, which might give them crippling pain, often due to the potential stigma that women are not fit for the workplace. Number three, representation of women, although better, is still scarce. Take healthcare, for example, in which women make up over 70% of the industry, yet they mostly remain in the background of decision making let alone being on equal footing in terms of positions of power. Number four, female genital mutilation is still socially acceptable in too many countries in the world to curb libido or to seemingly ensure the success of marriage. And finally, number five, trans women, especially trans women of color all around the world are discriminated against, assaulted and murdered every single day for simply being. So, the question here is still, haven't women had enough? And what in the world are we doing? This episode, let's talk about feminism. Hi, Edgelings. This is Andy or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy, but like, make it gay. A rather cringy podcast where I talk about my edgy, gay takes on things, either by myself or with friends. I'm in no way a gender studies major, but I would still like to talk about feminism, because it is often misunderstood and overlooked. Most of us might think that we are not sexists, but we most probably are and there will always be room to learn. I'm gay, but I'm still a guy, so I cannot escape my inherent sexism. Perhaps the best I can do is learn and follow the lead of the women in my life. So have fun listening. Last time she was on here, she read some of my poems very gracefully, despite being in a drunken and decrepit, not decrepit manner. Is that a sweaty? Is that a swato? No, it's a Swati. Hello. Hello. I'm back. <laughs> How decrepit are you today? 
Fuck you. That was a mistake, okay? We all make mistakes when we pronounce words like masturbate. Uh, uh, <laughs> damn it. Mass. It doesn't feel right. Masturbate. It that no. that, that 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 is masturbate. Master. Sounds like master bait. Masturbate. Decrepit masturbation. Okay, so now you're just trying to own wrong pronunciation. Yes, I need to reclaim this. Okay. Are we done? Yes, we are done. So today we're going to be talking about feminism. But it really isn't my place to be sharing anything related to this. I think it's still personally important to me, and that is why I want to recall talking about this in the future. So some people might think that just because women wear jeans today, feminism issues are solved now. But it definitely is not. So let's talk about that. So sweaty, swati, swato. Actually, it's Dr. Swati now. Dr. Swati? <laughs> Coming from a rather oppressive, misogynistic environment of the land of India. Do you remember a time when you realized that, no, women are not lesser than men? Is this very, like, tokenizing? No, I wouldn't say it's tokenizing. I think it's generalizing a bit. Okay. But it is kind of true. I think that's why it really hits close to home. Because, yeah, India is a bit... It's quite misogynistic Mm -hmm. um, as a culture. So personally, for me, I was very lucky that I grew up in a household where the women were very strong figures and they held their own. I would say my household was actually more matriarchal because this was before I was born. Uh, And my grandmother was the matriarch of the family. She Hmm. was the one uh, spearheading everything. She was in control of the finances in an era when women were not given the kind of freedom to hold really high positions at work. I think she still held a very strong hold over the family uh, and how the family was run. Uh, Some might even say she was a bit of um, a tyrant in her Mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. And I think we should also discuss the pros and cons of a matriarchy instead Mm -hmm. of a patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, I always grew up with very strong figures. My mom, my aunts, um, everyone was very free. And uh, also the men in my life. So like my dad, my cousins, my uncles were all very supportive of the women in their lives, daughters and wives mm-hmm. alike. I did not even realize just how misogynist like the country is around me because I grew up in a very sheltered um, situation. But then as I grew older and I came across more people, mm. I came across, yeah, the, the true face of, I wouldn't say the true face of India, but... The true face of a culture that is steeped in misogyny. Mm -hmm. So I would say my education in misogyny has started off pretty late. But I think it gave me a strong foundation to to start my education in feminism and thereby uh, share it with people. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I'm glad that of course you've come a long way. Right. But do you think uh, that you still have some like remnants of internalized sexism within you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, for example, my hatred towards cunnilingus mm-hmm. initially in the beginning. Uh, I did not even realize it was a form of uh, internalized misogyny yes. until you pointed it out, mm-hmm. which uh, was very shocking to me. Mm-hmm. But I realized, yes, because women are taught to always hide their pussies and also anything to do with periods or anything to do with the vagina in general mm. is considered unsavory or tabooed uh, as yep. a topic, especially in India. I never had a conversation about these things with my friends 
up until now when now we're all grown up and we're mm -hmm. way more uh, educated and living in different parts of the world that we are opening up to the concept of talking about these women's health issues especially associated yeah, with the vagina mm -hmm. so yes i would agree that i still have a lot of internalized misogyny to deal with and that's part of being a feminist you you can't just be you can't be rid of misogyny in your life mm -hmm. to call yourself a feminist mm -hmm. the whole point of feminism is to educate even women who tend to uh, internalize some of this patriarchy and uh, react to it unknowingly yeah or reclaim it or, or, rec yeah. or mm -hmm. reclaim it yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i agree definitely uh, coming into this episode one of the reasons why i was quite uncomfortable when talking about feminism uh the reasons why the poop episode had to precede the feminism episode <laughs> was because i was uncomfortable and it's primarily because i'm a gay man and i have said or done some sexist things uh so i apologize not i am sorry if i am just sorry <laughs> i am so proud at you right now <laughs> thank you so much but yeah, I think that I was thinking about this a lot last night and I'm not trying to make excuses, but also like, um, I think the entire thing about me presumably thinking that it was okay for me also to say some things that are quite crass, quite crude about women in general might also have something to do with the fact that I'm gay, right? Because uh, when I was in high school, I wasn't like super bullied or anything. But I remember that I always was called like girly or feminine, which then also led me to believe that I am lesser because I'm girly. So maybe at some point, I also internalized this thought that being girly and by proxy being lesser is okay. Being surrounded by women without thinking what that really meant. Well, um, so I don't remember any particular um event that occurred where i was like damn he's sexist um i think there are small comments that i mean i'm also guilty for saying things that are inappropriate with regards mm -hmm. to homosexual people or, mm -hmm. or transgendered people mm -hmm. um i think we all make these mistakes but what is important and what is key about this is to have a conversation about it and for all of us to be mindful that sometimes we're all human, and to uh, err is to be human. Wait, isn't it to err? I say err. Because you say error, you don't say err. Well, if I'm wrong, I'll delete this. If I'm right, I will put this on. <laughs> this can be the new decrypt. Yes. Uh -huh. um, so try your best not to these mistakes as often as you would have or have in the past. Mm -hmm. And that is a conversation which now I see a lot of people are starting to have. Men, women, everyone. Sometimes I can be sexist towards my own kind. I have mm -hmm. some preconceived notions about women that are very hard to break. And that is the hold patriarchy has on all of us. Not yeah. just women, not just yeah. a certain minority, but all of us. And mm -hmm. I think that's the main thing we need to focus on and fight against. Yeah. I think I also read somewhere, like quite a while back, about this like critical juncture between feminism and also gay men, which I feel like is quite complex. It doesn't get talked about a lot. I think that some of the issues, although they're not really the same, they're kind of the same mood, you know, because like some women do get uncomfortable being around gay men who are more feminine. And I've also experienced this as they might like think, um, oh, do they want to be a woman or like what? This kind of like encroaching on Which some... Which is also not wrong. Because I think gay men 
are kind of oppressed by the same perpetrators, right? Straight men. Same, as always, as women all over the world. And it's kind of like us still being men, but kind of also oppressed by other men. For example, gay men are famously known to use all of the slurs that have been kind of ingrained with all of the misogynistic things that um, straight men have said throughout the centuries. Even when I talk with, for example, Mike, I feel kind of bad, even if I know that it is culturally embedded within the LGBT community to use these words, these terms, as like slang. It's not even an insult anymore, and we're kind of losing the context, we're kind of losing the weight, right? I agree that there there are profanities, there are times for it, sometimes you can't control it because it's yeah. coming from a very visceral part of mm-hmm. you. I don't think that makes you any less of an ally towards mm. women. And uh, I actually saw this really um, awesome post on Instagram once where this guy said the difference between men's rights activism and feminism mm-hmm. is that men's rights activism doesn't do anything for the growth of men. Mm-hmm. It simply states the status quo that was already established and it tries to reinforce it. Yeah. Uh, whereas feminism is also advocating for men to be allowed to feel the feelings that they are conventionally oppressed or mm-hmm. suppressing themselves because they feel this is too feminine or this yeah. is too girly. Mm. And I, I don't personally like the word girly because mm-hmm. I think it has a very negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that feminism can still include all groups and yes. it can it's trying to make things better not only for women and i think that's the main uh point of feminism mm. for me yeah do you have anything else to add want to read a poem <laughs> you have a poem no <laughs> no um so i've also talked about drag race a lot uh and you've mentioned that the art form of drag makes you uncomfortable why is that um so this might be a hot take, and I apologize for all the drag race lovers out there, but some drag kind of accentuate parts of women that are traditionally considered uh, uh, vulgar. Mm-hmm. So if a woman is skimpily clad, is wearing clothes that accentuate her breasts, or is wearing a very short skirt or something, and something happens, like a sexual assault of some sort, it is automatically blamed on the fact that she was skimpily clad. She was Mm -hmm. asking for Mm -hmm. it, which is the most common um, Mm -hmm. way of thinking and victim shaming. And a lot of drag, I feel, focuses on these aspects of Mm -hmm. women, like big boobs and lots of makeup, all these things that are looked down upon and often women are criminalized for. Yeah. Punished for. Or punished for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why I have a problem with drag. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not yeah. saying I will be standing outside with picket lines, you know, mm-hmm. um, against drag race. Mm-hmm. But I just think... But yeah, I, it's a very controversial take. No, I think I, like, I get it. Because I think before I started watching Drag Race, which was quite recent, I was also feeling that, is this show not problematic? I felt like it was problematic. I've never been close to anything drag related up until very recently. But the more that I watch it, the more... I'm not telling you to watch it. I mean, it's a great show, but you don't have to watch it. I tried, but I failed. I would like to challenge you with with my opinion at the very least. Because like to me, drag queens are not just men, right? Nowadays, 
everybody can be a drag. Yeah. Everybody can be a drag king if they want to. Um, but like, I think that there are also just more than men or people in general wearing sparkly dresses, wearing a lot of uh, makeup with like over-exaggerated uh, features, which of course I understand why it made you uncomfortable. If it uh, made me uncomfortable way back when, then I completely understand. And I don't think th this feeling of being uncomfortable is misplaced, right? Drag queens are also like members of the LGBTQ plus community who are also embracing the same type of hyperfemininity that has always been regarded as inferior by the patriarchy. I understand that it made you uncomfortable, and I think I, I know why. And I know that there shouldn't be an order of things, right? I understand that uh, gay men were presumably the first ones to do it, trans women, um, you know, like uh, doing drag, performing in drag. And I felt that, like, had women women of color especially, been more involved in this, maybe, just maybe, you wouldn't be as uncomfortable. What do you think? I mean, while you were talking about this, I had an epiphany about my own feelings for this. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it stems from basic jealousy. Because if you think about it, drag has been around for way longer than now the whole talk about body positivity yes, and yes. you know now women are actually full-on trying to claim the body that they're born with the size mm -hmm. they're born with mm -hmm. and uh, also wearing the clothes they want to wear not just that oh if you are a certain body type you can only wear certain types of clothes and yes that was part that was part of the mission of the third wave feminism the drag community has had this uh, or has been doing this for a bit longer now I feel as a straight woman that we're very behind on this whole mm. concept and only now starting to mm. fully accept our bodies and uh, like the the concept of, of body image issues and body dysmorphia is very personal to me mm -hmm. and I think that's why I feel yeah uncomfortable thinking about drag because i'm mm. like hey you you guys are back here again like mm. we have been struggling and we have been facing so much misogyny and so much hate from not just men but ourselves self-hate which is the worst thing that can happen to you mm. and mm -hmm. then when you add the the beauty of sexual mm. assault to all of it yeah, yeah, yeah. it becomes even more mm. frustrating I mean, I think it's not something we're going to solve in this mm -hmm. podcast, but yeah, no, no, there's no, no, a lot no. to discuss yeah, and a lot to read about. Mm -hmm. So, who's a prominent feminist icon for you and why? I have been kind of late into my feminist education, as I already mentioned. And so I am only now starting to really read literature surrounding the movement and... Um, really looking at, at women and female figures that can be called icons, especially when it comes to the feminism movement. And uh, one of the books that I came across last year, and it really changed how I look at feminism, and especially women of color, uh, was uh, Bell Hooks. So Bell Hooks, um, she is, uh, she was an author. She, Did? Yeah, she recently mm. passed away. Um, COVID? No. Kidney failure. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. At the age of 69, which I kind of find yeah, ironic. Exactly. <laughs> I find it very ironic. Um, but yeah, she passed away uh, in December last year. Oh, okay. So quite recently. Very fresh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she is one of the most prominent figures, especially uh, in um, literature, mm -hmm. with regards to feminism, because she has written 
many books and poems. One of them um, that I read, it's all about love. And other than that, another book that I'm reading now is by Rebecca Solnit. So she writes about economics, politics, and um, activism. And um, she wrote this book called Men Explain Things to Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it would be something, a satirical look on, on how mansplaining came about, the coin, the term mansplaining was coined. But it's a very serious read. It's very intense. It talks about sexual assault. Because oh, I later on went on yeah. to read about Rebecca Solnit herself. Okay. And mm-hmm. she actually talks a lot about sexual assault and, and violence against women. Mm-hmm. So these two are currently my um, feminist icons. That's good. Who is your favorite feminist icon? Guess, 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 guess. Betty White? (laughs) May she rest in peace. No. Old. As in like, probably gone. I don't know if she was Rosalind Franklin. The the woman uh, who was... uh, No. Was part of the research team of Watson and Crick who came up with this uh, double helical structure of the DNA for the non-scientists in our uh, audience. Older. 1800s. British. Maggie Smith. (laughs) We will talk about her probably later. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, um, I can just tell you. Florence Nightingale. Oh my God. Thank you very much. (laughs) Florence Nightingale. I really liked her. So like, I only got to know her because I used to read this comic book series of like influential. Not because you met her in some conference. In my dreams. In your dreams. Yeah. The lady with the The way lamp. you're talking about her, it's as if you met her and you were like, oh, I, I found you had some very interesting ideas. No, it's like a so, lot more personal because like I used to read this like comic book series of like influential people and like the pages are like probably brown now because I read them so much oh, when yeah. I used to eat. Yeah. Okay. Not when well, I used to poop. No. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, but different. Florence Nightingale, a very prolific nurse. I mean, was a very prolific nurse. So she's not only a social reformer, especially in the sense of the healthcare. She was, of course, part of the first wave. Um, wave? <laughs> first... She was a wave of the first wave. <laughs> no, not a wave, not a waifu. She was basically the founder of modern day nursing. And like she, uh, interestingly, she was also the founder well, not the founder, but like the one who used pie charts the first time, and I was like, "Really? Yeah." Because Have you fact check this. Yes. Okay. And it was also in the comic book. Oh wow! A comic book said it must be true. <laughs> comic books are famous. They know so... for their accuracy. <laughs> like it was so good. And then, like of course, all of her work that made her famous was a part of the Crimean War. And then she basically advocated for like women's involvement in something that is so patriarchy driven like a war right anything more to add i really like florence nightingale i think she was like number 19 in the comic was it a bit reductionist of me as a member of modern day society to choose a first wave feminist as an icon just because i really liked her comic book oh definitely this is probably a good time for a recap on these feminism waves that swati and i kept saying if you would like to learn more about feminism history I'm sure you can find ample teaching material online because I'm just some edgy guy, but let's get started. Florence Nightingale, for instance, was a part of the first wave of feminism. First wave feminism had a fairly simple goal, and that is to have society recognize that women are humans, not property, 
for example, the right to vote. But their focus was primarily on white women's rights. This wave was definitely long, depending on where you are in the world. The advent of this movement could range between the 1700s to the early 1900s. The second wave came around the 1960s and 70s, and the mainstream goal was perhaps to reduce gender discrimination, such as demanding an equal pay and more focus on women's health, which garnered many victories. Traditional gender and family roles were often questioned during the second wave. And then, coming into the 1990s, the world moved into the third wave, which focused on intersectionality, something that first and second wave feminism often neglected. With the expansion on queer theory, knowledge on race, and the availability of opportunities to reclaim the image of women that has been shoved down their throats by the patriarchy, the bottom line of the third wave was that women get to choose how they want to live. And here we are now in what some might call the fourth wave of feminism, something that is heavily influenced by the internet. It builds on the third wave's emphasis on inclusivity and asks hard questions about what empowerment, equality, and freedom really mean. Trans rights are a big part of this conversation, too. Feminism has often been an unwelcoming and hostile place for trans women and others who reject the gender binary. When talking about the place of trans women in this entire conversation, one would definitely come across this term, TERF, T-E-R-F. So talking about fictional characters, I know that you really like the Harry Potter series. And as you know, J.K. Rowling, despite her literary work, that is universally loved, is, is a very well-known TERF, or trans-exclusionary radical feminist. How do you compartmentalize between your fascination, admiration, love towards her work and her as a not-so-nice human being? Quite frankly, I think her being a TERF has nothing to do with the works of art that she created Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day, mm. which is the Harry Potter series. Mm. I think she has severely deteriorated in the last years with regards to her work. And so I would not, in this day and age, I wouldn't be running, uh, going out of my way to buy her books anymore. Mm. I think in this way, we are letting patriarchy win once again. Because now we are fighting amongst ourselves as minorities with women uh, like her and other TERFs who think that trans women don't deserve the same rights as them or that they are trying to take away the stage from mm -hmm. women uh, or feminists. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think the rest of the world penalizing someone like her for having an opinion uh, when men have the exact same kind of transphobia and they don't get this kind of, of negative media, negative attention. And this has actually been shown that mm -hmm. women in prominent positions face a lot more uh, scrutiny from the world mm. alike, like minority groups and uh, men mm. alike, than men do. Uh, and I uh, think that's the whole point of feminism. It's holding both parties accountable. It's not saying women are better than men or men are better than women. It's saying we are all equal. And that includes uh, transgendered people, gay people, mm -hmm. non-binary, everyone. Mm. And 
like I said before, if we all join forces, I think we can defeat the patriarchy. Like what, whatever it is that you said kind of struck a chord with me. Because yes, probably I would agree with the fact that J.K. Rowling being demonized as the face of turfness mm -hmm. is probably also because she is a woman, right? Like I think white they, woman, a white woman. So so her her views on on uh, trans women is very flawed, and I do not agree with it whatsoever. And even the people that worked with her, yeah. like Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, they have come forward and they've actually shown their support for trans women and and trans gendered people in mm -hmm. general um and said that what she thinks and what she her views are are her own and have nothing to do with the yeah, harry yeah. potter uh franchise mm -hmm. in general i grew up with these uh, these books and they were a very key part of my my childhood my adolescence mm -hmm. and i don't want it to be marred yeah. by what she has said in the recent past yeah if i saw her on the street will i run up to her for an mm. autograph like i would have 10 15 years ago mm. no but at the same time i wouldn't be the one throwing rotten eggs at her mm. as well mm. and i think um, she should be allowed to say what she's being allowed to say if we're allowing homophobic men to um, say people like trump if people like trump can say whatever they want to say yeah, but I, I think she also should be allowed to voice her opinion. Yeah, but I think like there's there's a matter of I think there's a matter of principle here, right? Like Yeah, but I think people get very radical about her when they talk about her because because she's been such a major yeah, part yeah, of so yeah, many childhoods yeah. hmm. that I I can't imagine how it would have been for someone uh, who grew up to realize that they are transgendered and they underwent transitioning. Exactly. Or, you know, they, they started identifying as, as trans women and then suddenly to realize that an icon from their childhood yeah. Yeah. hates them or yeah. looks down upon them yeah. or does not stand by their side. I cannot imagine that personally for myself, but her written work, Harry Potter, the series, mm -hmm. has nothing to do with this for me. I like to keep it in, in a yeah, 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 like fashion agree. for sure mm. but honestly as a human being i think she's trash yes, yeah, yeah i mm. agree yeah and it's kind of like disappointing right because like when you when you realize all of these like maybe not so much the gen z kids but also like uh trans folk that exist within our generation they probably grew up with harry potter through their most difficult times they 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 sought for solace in her writing and then finding out that the creator of the world of peace that they um, kind of delve in while they were experiencing whatever coming to terms with their own issues i for one don't really care about harry potter but like whoa <laughs> whoa 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 get out of my house right now <laughs> i don't really care about harry potter it's like okay do i think that Voldemort was a good character. Uh, sorry, not good. A great character. Oh, I'm sorry, there wasn't any four-year-old girl that died in that book. <gasps> <laughs> Setsuko was not a feminist because she was a child when <laughs> she, she was died. Dead. Yeah, she was dead. <laughs> but like, I just feel like it's it's quite disappointing. I don't really share the disappointment because I don't feel that sense of attachment. But I I I, I relate to people who do feel disappointed. And, um, of course, then it would get hard to compartmentalize between the two, right? So, never meet your hero. Swati and I then talked about something quite technical. 
the fact that third-wave feminism is often seen as momentumless and directionless. We then pondered upon the many accomplishments of the very obvious rights and demands that the past waves of feminism have achieved for future generations, with more and more issues seemingly becoming more diluted and with constant internal strife between the sects of feminism, I completely understand how feminism may seem more stagnant than ever, but the fire still shines bright. Perhaps this is more so a period of introspection, a time to look back at mistakes or neglect and performing attempts to fix them. It goes without saying that the journey within oneself or the path to righting what's wrong is anything but momentumless. With that in mind, we then talked more in depth in a case study of feminism within our line of work, academia. There's also this underlying color problem in feminism, of course, right? More so back then, but even so now. So let's take academia, research, for example. Do you think that the academic feminism is very white Anglo-Saxon Protestanty or waspy? 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 <laughs> I don't know. There's a wasp <laughs> in my butt. It's a bit a. Wasp. Don't be so waspish. Yeah. Um, for the bigger, most part of my academic career, I've been in a European country, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I would say I've had a greater exposure towards white women in academia. So, of course, I, it's very easy for me to say yes. That is how it is that white women get more recognition in positions of power. Mm -hmm. But I honestly can't say the same for people doing research in India because they're the women in power are all Indian potentially. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think recognition wise, this can change for the better. Definitely. Mm -hmm. There's scope Mm -hmm. for improvement. Um, But at the moment, there's still a lot of misogyny within academia. Yeah, definitely. It's one mm-hmm. of the oldest, most um, archaic fields. Um, and I think right now we need to focus on women getting to positions mm-hmm. of, of uh, leadership. Yeah. Because uh, so recently there was a, uh, a statement released by the PhD network of our institute where they talked about how power abuse issues are dealt with mm-hmm. and how many times these issues stem from female um, mm-hmm. PIs or professors versus how many times they stem from males. And they actually found that uh, power abuse issues that are uh, propagated by female professors are way more likely to be reported. Yes. But if you look at the overall population or the the percentage of female professors within the entire uh, institute composition, it's a very low percentage of women representing a position of power. Yes. And then if you have, if you hack it down furthermore to women of color and white women, Mm -hmm. then you're actually, it doesn't matter at the end because it's still a very low percentage of representation. Yeah. So at this point, I don't really care if mm-hmm. it's waspy or waspy or not, because at this moment, I just want more representation from women. Yeah. And once we reach a position where there is some kind of equity achieved, then we can go all full steam ahead and we can push women of color as mm-hmm. well and, yeah. and actually start looking at the representation from women of color. 
Yeah. Right now, I just want more representation from women. Yeah. Remember quite a while back, we had this conversation about how males or men having uh, positions of power, I'm pretty sure they also do the same kind of shit. And it's just not uh, reported as much. And thus, it kind of skews the attention more towards women. Yeah. Because what now? Women are the demons again mm-hmm. after Eve. Oh yeah, and that they cannot possibly be fair or uh, exactly. level-headed in yeah, a yeah. position mm-hmm. of power. That thereby they shouldn't be given this position of power. Exactly. Because if they're given this, apparently they're more abusive. Exactly. Which is a complete and total misrepresentation. Different countries run on different clocks as a result of not just development, but also systemic factors like colonialism and culture. Just because one country is so far ahead of another doesn't mean that you should feel discouraged. And even if it is hard to admire with a tinge of jealousy involved, we shouldn't be afraid to strive to be or learn from your role models. I'm here talking about feminism, of course, but this applies to many other social issues that are still ingrained within our society, even today. With that said, some women in different parts of the world are still being oppressed and some of these women are still running on a clock which tells them that they should feel fine with being oppressed because they are nothing more than baby-bearing vessels. At the end of the day, this issue is not going to be solved today. It might take generations for this movement to reach its final stages or it might not ever reach its conclusion. Food for thought, everybody. So make space, because there's always more to learn. This is Andy, or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy But Like Make It Gay. If you like this cringe fest of a podcast, then I probably like you too. Where did you find this podcast? Spotify? Apple Podcast? Eh, I guess wherever you get your podcast from. Music this episode is by Waterboy and Dream Heaven. New episode coming out in two weeks. Bye bye.